0: You're listening to KKUP Cupertino, 91.5 FM here in the Bay Area and beyond the Bay at KKUP.org, where we stream live all the time. Uh, You're listening, uh, it's 8 p.m. This is Out of Our Minds, the longest running poetry radio show in the United States. I'm your host, Rochelle Escamilla. Um, So thanks, Fly, for the music, as always. Uh, I'm going to change the mood a little bit. I'm going to be playing uh, a track called Pie de la Montaña by La Revolución. Emiliano Zapata and then we're going to go into an interview with Manuel Paul Lopez so here we go Pie de la Montaña by La Revolución de Emiliano Zapata. Uh, tonight's program will include an interview with Manuel Paul Lopez. Manuel Paul Lopez, along with uh, nine other Latinx poets, will be at CSUMB for the second annual Latinx Poetic Symposium, uh, which will begin next week at thir- on Thursday night at 6 p.m. at CSUMB on the main campus. Um, and then on Friday morning at the Steinbeck Center in Salinas. The poets will get together again for a panel discussion, as well as workshops that are available and free to the community. And the grand finale for the Latinx Poetic Symposium, which begins next week on Thursday and ends on Friday, is a reading at Old Capitol Books in downtown Monterey at 7pm. And everything is free and open to the public. So Manuel Paul Lopez, um, his books include These Days of Candy, the Yearning Feed, he's the winner of the Ernest Sandine Poetry Prize. He has a book called Death of a Mexican and Other Poems. He also co-edited Reclaiming Our Stories. He is a Canto Mundo fellow, and his work has been published in Bilingual Review, Denver Quarterly, Hanging Loose, Puerto del Sol, and Zizoba, among others. He lives in San Diego and teaches at San Diego City College. Um, A quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed on this program or on the station do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of the staff and management at KKUP. All right, so here's an interview with Manuel Paul Lopez, who will be here for the Latinx Podic Symposium next week at CSUMB in Monterey, Salinas, and downtown Monterey at Old Capital Books. So here we go. Maybe. Here we go. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) So, Paul, I met you at the Library of Congress. Uh, We, like, passed each other in the hallway. You were going to record your poems for the Library of Congress Hispanic Division, the uh, Hispanic literature on tape, and I was there uh, doing some scholarly work and and had just uh, um, recorded my poems. It was pretty crazy, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, it was a a really surreal experience to be there, and it was such a pleasure to meet you and and some of the other folks who were there. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It it was great. I mean, it was my first time to D.C. as well. So I was just taking all that in and to be in that in that space was incredible.
0: Right. Like in this gigantic, like (laughs) huge. I mean, it was just I I was there for about a week and Uh by the end of the week, I got used to it. But the beginning of the week, you know, you walk underneath these buildings and the like underground walkways and through all these like old brick and all of this sort of like. Um, sort of gothic it almost felt gothic right. to me
1: right big heavy, heavy you know ornate sort of uh, pillars and staircases and <laughs> long hallways and you know it was it was it's really beautiful building yeah. I wish I could have spent a little more time there
0: hey um, man go back
1: <laughs> I know but that's the plan that's the plan <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know I'm like I'm kind of hooked I think I'm gonna go back like I'm gonna try and go back every summer um but also like the Hispanic reading room and the, the sort of, I mean, it's the library of Congress, but there's so much available at our fingertips out there. And there's so much information that, gosh, I just, I can't wait to like discover and uncover and, and write about and think about. So, yeah.
1: Absolutely. So you were, you were there a week, you said?
0: Yeah, I was there. I was there for a week. Uh-huh. I was sent by uh CSUMB. They had a little grant, uh, through one of the departments, the Service Learning Institute, and I was going to go and research some stuff on one of my classes that I was teaching. Um, But the night before I left, my mom told me a story and she's like, oh, you know, your grandpa went to D.C. once. And I was like, no, I didn't know that. And she's like, yeah, he did. He (laughs) he testified in front of Congress about the migrant workers. And I was like, what? (laughs)
1: Wow, and were you able to, to find some information?
0: Yeah, I found his testimony, and and then and then, she told me, oh yeah, and some lady, some some gringa, came after your grandpa did the testimony. He she came and she took pictures of all of us and she made a book, and oh. I was like, what? I didn't know any of this stuff. Like, this is the night before I'm leaving to uh-huh. go to the Library of Congress. She tells me this. And so I yeah, yeah, like, there.
1: that's great information here.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, so I went out there. So I found the book. I looked for the book. And I found the book with my family in it. And and so now it's a thing. And I'm going to go back every summer and try and find more information and
1: yeah, do some yeah. research. A mm-hmm. recovery effort, right? Yeah.
0: we. I, I think... I think there's a lot of missing information about our people, you know.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, you know, and, and, you know, my opportunity to be there was just, you know, so so amazing. Um, And it came about through Letras Latinas. And, yeah, I and was the,
0: wondering, how, I was going to ask, yeah, how did you get out there? What was what was your deal? What were you doing there?
1: Well, as you met, I'm not sure if you had met him before, but Francisco Aragon was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he kind of put this together, set it up. And I, I know a few other poets have, have done it. and And I was asked, and I was you know, jumping for joy, I was like, wow, this is incredible, mm-hmm. you know, there be in the studio and, and record some of this work that I've done, and just taking all that in, you know, and, and the opportunity to, to, I was very intentional about when I was there reading poems about my my grandparents, and, mm-hmm. and honor them and, and, and as, in, in a little way as I could, right, mm-hmm. but that was a very special, special, special moment, and, and I'm forever grateful for Francisco,
0: yeah, yeah, it's 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 amazing, and and it's just so funny that we like just crossed each other in that space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was really happy to meet you, and 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 happy to uh, receive your books and to to read them and to think about the work you do. So tell me a little bit about like where you are as a poet, like all that stuff, and 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 the books that you have, and and uh, and we'll go from there.
1: Well, I mean. Um... My, my most recent book was These Days of Candy, which was published uh, November 2017, mm-hmm. through, through um, Noemi Press, mm-hmm. which is yeah. also a joint effort, or a collaboration between Letras Latinas and Noemi Press, mm-hmm. and it's, they brought about the Acrylica series, which is named after that am- amazing um, seminal text by uh, Juan Felipe Herrera, oh. Acrylica, yeah, and... That came out recently, and then my, my other two books is The Yearning Feed, which came out of Notre Dame Press, mm-hmm. uh, and Death of a Mexican, which came out of Bar- Bear Star Press in 2006. I think it was about November of 2006. Uh, wow, yeah. you've,
0: been at, you've been at it for a long time.
1: Trying chipping away, you know? <laughs> <laughs> chipping away and, and trying to get things here and there, put in, in, in different publications. But yeah, it's been something that's brought a lot of joy to me. You know, and, and, and again, I'm I'm grateful for those people who have supported the work, and um, and and uh, you know, and certainly believed in, in me, and you know, so that's really cool to, to know.
0: Yeah, and so and, and so, um, when did you like start the whole poetry thing? Like, what what fueled it for you? How did you get there?
1: Yeah, well, you know, there's there's a lot of these, you know, um, you know. Things that happened during your life, early life, my elementary school. I, I've always been a reader, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was writing little things to myself and, and, and keeping them in shoeboxes. My mom used to find all these little you know, papelitos with with writings on them. Um, and then you know those teachers that, that identified you know something that you were doing and and affirmed it, you know. So and you know there's a lot of different uh, people who have contributed to this, but uh, a couple of teachers in my high school. Um, Mrs. King, Carmel King, I was a junior in high school, and she read something of mine in class one day, and, and uh, that kind of picked me up. It was a very, it was a surprise. You mm-hmm. uh, know, it, it was a creative writing class, and I mean, I was just doing—I was writing little stories and, and song lyrics here and there, and, and, um, and but it was something that I did in, in my own private, you know, mm-hmm. space. I, I didn't really share much to, with anybody. Um, uh, and then I started, uh, my two years at Imperial Valley college there in Imperial Valley where I'm from mm-hmm. and just went into the stacks and started pulling stuff out. And then, what's um,
0: it what's it like in Imperial Valley? Like I'm a, I'm a central coast M- M- Monterey, California girl. And so when I think of Southern California, I'm not sure how to think about it. So tell me a little bit about the landscape of where you grew up
1: imperial valley well there's there's a few towns that make up the valley um el central brawley hopeville calexico and it's it's about el centro is where i'm from and we're about 12 about, about approximately 12 miles from the from the Mexicali border mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a it's an agriculture com- community community mm-hmm. um a lot of my family had worked in the, in the fields as well mm-hmm. at certain points and then uh we're right there by the border Mm-hmm. Which is an interesting thing. It's pretty hot there, mm-hmm. in the summer, in the late spring summers. Um, but it, it was it was an amazing time going up there. I mean, I had my friends and we were, we were doing our thing. But like I've said before, the people just I, I often sought refuge in in the libraries during the summertime as a kid, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, reading books and and you know just letting the imagination go.
0: Is it like is it like campesinos, like migrant like migrant workers type stuff, or is it like sure. suburb? Yep.
1: There are, yeah. And, and, and you mentioned the fight that your, your grandfather, your grandfather, yes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Had, had, had put up. And, and there was a lot of that. I mean, we're thinking Chavez being there and mm. a lot of the, the farm workers who, who, who rose up and, and, and organized and fought back. You know, so there's a lot of history there. Yeah. In the go- yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's 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 something I'm thinking about a lot more lately is is this um, sort of the difference in geography As far as being a Chicana is concerned, like, like I read a lot of stories about existing and living in the borderlands. And I, I was so distant. I grew up here in central slash northern California where, like, the border doesn't exist for me. And so we have different perspectives on Chicanidad. And when I go and visit my tia who lives in the Nogales border Mm -hmm. in Arizona and other places, like, there's such a huge landscape of, um... Of stories that exist within Chicanidad, the stories that yep. exist on the border, and the stories that don't exist on the border, and and everything in between. So,
1: Absolutely. yeah. And, and I mean, growing up, we it was we would go get haircuts, go grocery shopping, go have lunch or dinner, you know, across the border. It was a very quick trip. I mean, there was always a line, but you know, <laughs> it was very quick to get there and and, and go and go do things. Mexico, I love it. It's a, it's. A, you know a lot of great food a lot of great culture and stuff like that so it was it was cool to be there i mean the imperial valley itself it's you know rural community um it's very small I mean, it's grown quite a bit over the last few years but yeah um funny stories that that i just found out about this is that my my grandmothers actually worked the carrot fields together uh, side by side before my parents were even i think it was before they were even born so they were working together and then all these years later you know the ch- children get together. It's, it's a very, it was weird. Um, <laughs> and then my grandfathers used to hang out together as young men and they go to Mexicali and hang out and do their thing and come back.
0: <laughs>
1: so, so that's how it was.
0: That's crazy. That's cool to think about. I mean, I, I think about, I think about that kind of stuff a lot. Um, just mm-hmm. the, the ways in which we coincide. I, I um, have a very good friend and Sometimes you know when you meet someone, you feel like you've known them your whole life. And I was like, "Dude, like, where did you grow up?" Like, and he's like, "Oh, I spent summers in Monterey." And I was thinking, Mm -hmm. I feel like we crossed each other like on the sand on the beach somewhere, or like in a store. (laughs) We were going like back and talking about what summers look like. I was like, "Nah, there's no way we crossed each other." You were like in summer camps, and I was picking (laughs) apricots.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Monterey is a beautiful place. (coughs)
0: <coughs> yeah
1: it's it's interesting pure Valley yeah really re- definitely shaped shaped uh especially a lot of the early stuff I was writing
0: yeah yeah so tell me a little bit about the the sort of uh the the work like where where's your headspace in inside of this latest book
1: the latest uh the these days of Kenny um it was I guess I mean it's it it, it continues to be just uh Thinking about power and thinking about, you know, and how it's it's waged against different people and and, uh, and some of the people who are being affected by this and and some of these stories are fantastical and, and these poems are you know strange in, in a lot of ways but but at the end of the day I think it is them um, kind of contending with with power structures and, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. that type of thing and and a I uh, wanted to try to experiment with different sort of forms and and um, see see where that would lead me. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. There's, I mean, if you look at it, there's a lot of you know stuff that plays around with like drama and you know the, the play form, um, verse play, et cetera and, uh, prose poems, and there's even a short story in there. Yeah.
0: yeah. That's what I really, that's actually what I really liked about it is the variety of form that existed in that book as opposed to like just page after page of poem and poem. I mean, nowadays, I think poetry is is exploring new spaces and it always kind of has been, but I think particularly um, in some of the really uh, good contemporary work where like mm-hmm. a poem isn't just about like, one poem and then another poem and then another poem instead it's like a it's an interweaving of concepts and ideas and poetry and prose and all the different forms in which they exist
2: mm-hmm.
0: um and i like that about your book
2: yeah sure. and, I
1: think, and i think all all of the all the ones that i've done so far have all had that sort of sort of like a tapestry right of different styles and different um forms and things like that and that's just the way i come at it i, I at this point, I don't think of a whole collection. I just kind of walk into the page each time I sit down to write, you know, and see what happens. Mm-hmm. You know, eventually, you know, you collect enough material and you kind of see what works and take stuff in, out, put stuff in, mm-hmm. stuff in and see see what happens, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's been a tendency, but I've never shied away from, you know, excluding any sort of form for the sake of having a, you know, larger cohesive, strict sort of,
0: yeah, yeah,
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah, no, I I definitely enjoyed the book, Um, and so, do you, what do you, what do you do, do you uh, teach, or do you, uh,
1: like... yes, I, I teach at San Diego City College here in San Diego, um, I've been here, it's my fourth year there, mm-hmm. and previous to that, I was teaching high school, I taught high school for 15 years. Really? Yeah, uh uh-huh.
0: How was that?
1: It was great, you know, the students, are, you know, they were phenomenal, and, and, uh, a lot of great experiences. I, I, the last eight years I taught was at a high school here in San Diego called High Tech High, which is a project-based learning mm-hmm. school. Um, so there was a lot of making, you know, that mm-hmm. the students were doing. And what was interesting about that is that I would team teach with, uh, say, uh, I was Humanity, so I'd have maybe like a, a chemistry teacher or a biology teacher that I would share 40 students with. Mm-hmm. And then we would work on a project for the semester and then showcase it at the end so it was, it was really dynamic, and you know, students would take in, go on internships and travel. And it was it was, it was a really interesting place. Now at San Diego City College, I'm I'm also co- coordinating the uh, Puente program. Nice. Yeah, with my partner Luis uh, Perez. I yeah. just
0: ha- I just had uh, Adela Najaro on the show last oh, night, yeah. and she was talking about Puente.
1: <laughs> yeah, she's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I I saw her recently at at a Puente conference. Yeah. Exactly. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, that's
0: cool. No, I was, um, I was, I was getting set up to do puente at Gavilan College in Gilroy, and then I got uh, the job of the full time professor job in, uh, in China, and so it was like, oh, do I stay and work with puente or do I go and work in China? And you know, uh, China it was.
2: <laughs> how long were you in China?
0: Two years. Two, Two years. years. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I I often regret that decision. So when I came back from China, um, I I joined Puente as a mentor um, and really enjoyed it. The the relationships that I built with some of the students have still exist today. You know, at at least on Instagram they exist. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which is a good, it's a good place to be for them, you know?
1: Like, it's a special place, yeah. I mean,
0: accessible. it's
1: very much like the cohort that I was talking about at the high school that I was at, where we, so Luis and I share, share about, uh, 30 some students, you know, 31, 32 students, mm-hmm. um, and we get to know them pretty well over, you know, a three semester mm-hmm. here. Right? So it's good. It's been good. And I also do, um, the creative writing, intro to creative writing in the, the journal for the school. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So that's that's been good. What's it called again? City Works.
0: City Works, okay. Uh, hold on hold on one second. I'm gonna pause us. Chris, can you take the baby upstairs or outside? Because I can hear her in the recording. Sorry, my it used to be I, I think I hear birds. Do you have birds in your apartment or your place? Yeah.
1: Do I have birds? Yeah. No. Oh
0: then it must be my bird I'm hearing. <laughs> Because I was like, I think he has birds. I didn't know I could still hear my bird.
1: We usually um, have birds, but I, I, all the windows are shut. So <laughs> I
0: have I have a bird and a baby and a husband oh. and a roommate. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's a one woman show here. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, um, so so you um, you advise or you help? Do the students do the literary magazine?
1: uh yeah yeah they do so it's a semester long um class and it's yeah they're doing their own working on their own writings and then you know but we're also putting the journal together Uh so look at the submissions and then they make those decisions you know and then yeah and then we have this reading at the end of the semester which is great we you know have a journal there. It's been, it's been going for 25 years. We just celebrated our 25th year anniversary.
0: That's a long time. That's a long that's a lot of longevity for a for a community college paper uh, journal. Oh
1: yeah. And, and, and it's 50% you know out from the outside of the campus and then 50% student work that gets published in there. So that's That's, uh, that's really good.
0: Yeah. That's really good. Yeah, no, for sure. So it's a, so it's a course. It yeah. Is. Yeah, see a couple of the successful literary journals that i've that i've um experienced in the world have to do with uh they're part of a course material which i think helps the longevity of the of of the the magazine um i'm thinking about that a lot here at csu monterey bay and thinking about some other things that are happening here but um so what's so what's the uh landscape for poetry like out in san diego what's the scene like out there are things happening
1: yeah, I mean, th- there are a number of uh, series that are going around town. Um, of course, you have the universities and colleges here that, that are putting up stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, on our campus, we have um, the Social Justice Conference, we have the Binational Conference, and we have uh, a C- City Voices series. Mm-hmm. So, all of those are, are bringing in um, uh, authors, you know. So, that's that's really nice. Um, there's, a, there's a number of, of like I said, series that are happening around town um, that I think are pretty good. and You know, just sustaining that is, is tough, I and mean, I, my props to all those people who are putting in their time. Um, I'm also part of a, a community writing project called Reclaiming Our Stories mm-hmm. uh-huh. um, in southeast San Diego, and it's something that we do in the fall, spring, and summer. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And uh, we get, like, a small group of uh, folks who want to the stories down and uh, we meet once we, we have like eight sessions typically mm-hmm. and it's once a week for about an hour and a half um, and then we'll have a reading and may invite friends and, and family to this we have food and everything it's really nice and um, after our fourth or fifth cohort uh, we were able to we were asked if we wanted to get some of these published or all of them published mm-hmm. so we we did we, we, we We put out this anthology called Reclaiming Our Stories um, that came out about a year and a half ago, approximately. Okay. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Stories of the community and and it's done well. You know, it's been used in a lot of classrooms and things. Nice. Um, Yeah. I'll look it up. Yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, do you want to read some poetry for us?
1: Sure. So you mentioned the Imperial Valley, um, or we talked about the Imperial Valley. So I'm going to start with, with this piece that begins the, the yearning feed, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and it's called The Interview, um, and it's pulled directly from an interview that I did uh, a few years ago. But the question was, can you share with us a, a unique story about your hometown in the Imperial Valley? And then the answer is, I heard a story once about a sheep. It's actually a story about a flock of sheep, but I'll get to that in a minute. This infamous infamous sheep that's now eternally ingrained in Imperial Valley folklore committed suicide one day when it decided to climb a ditch ditch bank near an alfalfa field just outside of El Long story short, when it reached the top, this rebellious creature that will forever remain nameless descended the other side without one bit of hesitation. A real Chingon, man. Stoically, it marched into the abyss as if Charles Bronson had Costumed himself in sheep's clothing is what I'm trying to tell you. But it didn't take long before it quickly lost its footing and tumbled into the water. The current like a crazed washing machine cycle churning and sucking simultaneously as the borrego left behind a tiny dust storm of hoof and wool kicked up in its wake limbs splashing feverishly as it raised its little lips toward an orange sky that sizzled above to shout out shout one last declaration sheep. If you've grown up in the Imperial Valley, you know to tread carefully around various waterways, stared blankly with eyes like dark, tender buttons. But it didn't take long, you know, before they followed suit, climbing, faithfully reaching that same dire immensity as their beloved comrade. In ranks a large flock of woolly sheep drowned themselves by following that first sheep's desire to see what was on the other side or to sip from that mythical Colorado River water that has quenched the Imperial Valley Desert for over a century or to protest poor labor conditions that have assaulted their backs like electrified machetes or simply to cool off, who knows. Maybe it was a vision the sheep had somehow fulfilling some sort of sheep. Derived prophecy in the same deranged traditions as U.S. America's most elusive cult leaders. Maybe it was just bad alfalfa that induced the wild hallucination. Maybe they were the sacrificial lambs intent on teaching us something. Teaching us something. I've always been captivated by the story, regardless of its fact or fiction. I prefer not knowing, though I do wonder why, on occasion. Why did that sheep break ranks and did it know they would all follow? <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's a good story, so, man.
1: So there's the sheep, as you know, valley mythology, but it's the sheep. I mean, growing up, you know, in, in elementary school, uh, it, I mean, you drive through the valley, there's all sorts of canals, right? Right. Agriculture. So growing up in elementary school, we were, you know, they, they instilled that fear in us, like, stay away, stay away Not from those canals. things, you know? Yeah, because they were dangerous, you know, they, on, on surface level, they look fine, but underneath, there's this just, like... Yeah, know? my,
0: my, my, actually, we have a canal story, man, like, <laughs> my, mm-hmm. my, 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 my mom and her sisters and my grandma, all of them went down, and they were, like, there at the canals, uh, and my cousin fell, or my tia fell in, and my grandma jumped in after her, and, and, like, my pushed my thea out to the side, but then my grandma was getting, like, sucked in, and... Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the story is, is that there was, like, you know, there was, like, a lip in the cement on the side that she held on to until someone pulled her out, and when they pulled her out, she was, like, all bloody and scraped up, because it's, it's crazy, the undercurrent there is crazy.
1: Right, right. Yeah, I mean, we have known stories, you know, of people that we've known who have gone into, you know, just... It's 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 it can be terrible. I mean, growing up, they had Dippy Duck. It was this little duck uh, uh, mask. <laughs> they would come into our schools and it was covering books and stuff. But it was it was all to warn us about the the dangers of the of the canals. Yeah, um, <laughs> but you know the that.
0: sad thing is is there there were no swimming pools for us to swim in though.
1: <laughs> yeah, so you would jump in there, yeah. And cool up. <laughs> And that's what would happen like in high school that you know, there would be parties and there was this, this one location called the rope Which was this big tree that hung over the one of the canals and you know The kids would tie up a rope there and then launch into the canal and jump out just before it got dangerous it <laughs> Around for hanging out because that was something to do.
0: Yeah Yeah
1: So it's 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 pretty pretty crazy. And then of course the sheep and, and, and that are out there in the fields from time to time when you're driving through, you'll see them um there's a sheep on the actual cover of the yearning feast. So that's a, a figure that comes up with yeah. the collection, yeah.
0: Well, I mean it's it's interesting. It makes me think about a lot of the folklore that like <laughs> that exists in our stories, you know, like yeah. La mano negra and la yorona and like all these characters in which, like you know, they're just warnings, ways, uh, oral traditions that teach us to keep, stay away from bodies of water and to uh-huh. to not get out of bed at night uh, <laughs> yeah. because your mom and dad are probably doing something in the other room and don't want you to get out of bed, so they tell you that if you get out of bed or your feet hang out, you know the the mano negra is going to come up from
1: <laughs> yeah, get you by the ankle. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> that's fear, right?
0: <laughs> and you know, I mean, some people are like, "Oh man, that's messed up." Like that's psychological. But, but like, it's like, it it's like, it's like, it's like, it's culture, <clears throat> man. It's hardcore, crazy. Like, mm-hmm. it, I don't know. I, 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 I can't imagine myself omitting these kinds of things from my daughter's existence. Like, I. I, I guess I know better than to, like, try and scare the crap out of her. But yeah. at the same time, I feel like maybe that's okay. Maybe that's
1: okay. Yeah. <laughs> maybe that's and it's okay. interesting because, you know, depending on who you talk to, La like, Yorona, everyone has their, their version of it, you know. At its core, it means the same, but there's all these different variations, which I think is interesting. Mm-hmm. she would be on the ditch banks, you know. And again, I think it was just stay away from the canals. You know? <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, that's how I think about Malinche too. You know, I have one of my cousins and I. He, we were, we, were, we uh, were hanging out, and and he was talking about Malinche, and I was talking about Malinche, and I was like, well, there. I feel like there's these different uh, interpretations of of her existence and like why she did what she did and all this stuff, and mm-hmm. and uh, and and you know, there's all these things that in, in in our history that like they're just such. I don't know. They're just such important stories, and they're. And they're really, I don't know, they're really special, and I'm really grateful to be talking to other people who are thinking about these things and writing about them.
2: Mm.
0: So, um, how about a couple more poems?
1: Sure. I'm just going to stick with the same book, um, and then The Yearning Feed. This is So there's a few poems in the book that are called The Yearning Feed. Mm-hmm. And here's... Uh, one of the early ones. So begins. If you were a nanny goat, I'd watch you from afar, maybe from behind a hay bale or a firm stack of sandbags, like the ones we used to look for in old war movies. Nonetheless, my safety would come first. With binoculars, I'd find your lovely nanny goat lips and daydream about long, interminable conversations with you, about the nature of things nanny-goat things of grass and the yearning matter that feeds it. Together we'd fertilize the air with our secrets and watch scissors grow. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, uh, there's right after that is this, I'll read a couple of these, but it's the Desert Series. Okay. And um, this one came about after reading Ben... Ben, Benjamin Sands, um, The Book of What Remains. Mm-hmm. I love that book so much, and I read it straight, you know, I kept it with me close for, for about a year, really. Um, but this was inspired by that stuff. Okay. And it, and it, so here's the first one. Carlos's moms used to warn us about staring directly into the growling solosazo. The Desert sun, she said, shouldn't ever be messed with. That That's in the sky will turn on you like a wild turkey in November. With this, she paused, examining her fingernails like a cool-headed Shaolin Kung Fu master, slowly, methodically. Oh, there's some words in here that I don't know if you can. <laughs> so, oh.
0: uh, go, go, go ahead and read them, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll block them out if I have to.
1: Okay, so there she says, It's kind of like all of us in this valley, she continued. Our don't-with-us attitude would have made Miles Davis stutter. For effect, Carlos's moms balled her hands into two bony fists and shook them in our faces. The sun's power is raw, mejitas. The thing will bleach your eyes out in a second if it catches you staring without its permission. Does that mean we'll go blind? We fired back, afraid of the impending danger, knowing our curiosity would eventually get the best of us. We'd be blinded by 12. In response, Carlos's moms glanced from left to right, then shook her fists in our faces again and scowled revealing her famous perfect teeth and her equally famous dimple that winked from the depths of her cheek, an indentation of seduction that broke men like Chicano kryptonite from the Imperial Valley to Fresno, California. With our heads down, this might be the reason why we were so damn good at soccer. Dang. So, So here's another one. It's a... So it goes, during Imperial Valley summers, the chicharras buzzed constantly. Between the chicharras and the perpetual drone of the air conditioner motors, Hollywood-worthy sound effects spread across our town like a horror movie soundtrack for those who couldn't afford to be indoors. (laughs) Oh, my dog's going (laughs) off All
0: right, hold on. Uh, Why don't we start that poem again?
1: Okay. Okay. Ready? Yeah. During the Imperial Valley summers, the chicharras buzzed constantly. Between the chicharras and the perpetual drone of the air conditioner motors, Hollywood-worthy sound effects spread across our town like a horror movie soundtrack for those who couldn't afford to be indoors the evening, you and I heard the Border Patrol found the bodies of a young man and woman lying down locked in an eternal embrace near an Ocotillo plant they used for shelter during a blistering August day in a remote corner of the Imperial Valley Desert. No water, shoes chewed up by the journey north, clothes tattered. We sat in silence at our dinner table and questioned everything we had already thanked our God for when the powers that be decided to change the imperial valley's area code from 619 to 760 the person most affected was hector 619 was tattooed on his neck in beautiful and prominent old english one intoxicated evening as he promised to smoke any fool who claimed anything but these three fateful numbers in an instant hector's tattoo became a target on his neck for those who also had tattoos freshly inked tattoos Sometimes on those who vaguely resembled his friends. <laughs> yeah. Man. So that's a few from that series.
0: Yeah, um, oh, that's good. You're good. You're good.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. You're really. Do you want to come to Monterey and read, dude?
1: Sure. <laughs> Monterey's beautiful. I've been there a couple times. Yeah. <laughs> I love you, Michelle. Dude, yeah. I
0: am gonna send I'm gonna send you a formal email about some stuff we're doing in, in April. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Eight hey, yeah. And then Carmel's not too far, right? I mean, nah,
0: it's not too far.
1: We're going to the to the Robinson Jeffers he, the House, and going in there and taking some pictures. Yeah.
0: Have you been there before?
1: Oh sure. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah,
0: yeah. I was I, I was almost a docent there. Almost a docent. I uh, I wanted to become a docent because um I want to just be in the house all the time.
1: Yeah, <laughs> so yeah.
0: I'm working on it, but I'm right now I'm too busy, but soon, soon.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's really, really cool. And I, th- I think the story was that he, he pulled up a lot of those stones by himself. No, Yeah, or...
0: yeah, yeah. Robinson Jeffers um, is one of my favorite poets. He was a romantic stuck in the modern world, and I think I'm very much the same, very much a romantic. Everyone mm-hmm. keeps asking me, like, what do you write your poems about? And I'm like, well, I write my poems about family, but... And lovers, but really, my poems are about love. Like, yeah,
1: yeah, love and compassion. Yeah.
0: yeah, love and compassion, but also like love and like despair.
1: Like mm-hmm. like
0: how love cannot. The other night we were talking. Uh, we had a reading here in Monterey. Tongo Eyes Martin was here, and and he's he's a big shot. And you mm-hmm. know, we mm. went out and partied afterwards. He didn't come. <laughs> Everyone else, everyone else did. (laughs) But anyway, I was telling someone. I was like, I think, I think uh, the only reason why things are beautiful is because it's beauty is full of pain. And they're Mm -hmm. like, No, don't say that. Don't say that. And I was like, Yeah, I think so because. Even in the moments of the most beautiful, like in in the moments when you're in your arms with your lover, or you you have your child in your hands, or any of these moments where they're the most beautiful, the reason why it's beautiful is because it will be lost.
1: Yeah, inevitably we'll have to let go at some point, right?
0: Yeah, the moment has to end.
1: Yeah, so that despair and love is, is that's the space I live in too. <laughs> And, and you asked earlier about where the work, my work, is, and I think that that, that is where it is. It's, and sometimes people mention the humor in there, but there's also that despair. Yeah. Well, that despair.
0: well, I heard it in the in the poem about finding the people who are, um, but the border patrol finding the people and like yeah. being at your table and 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 everything altering in that moment. Mm-hmm. You know, and and that kind of disparity. And and also like the way things are now, you know, I think about a lot of the things I think about with regards to my fa- my grandfather's story, crossing mm-hmm. with the Bracero program, and then later fighting for the rights of migrant workers. Um, mm-hmm. Is that like that's the foundation that all of that was the foundation for what's happening now? Like all of it is foundational,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and it's just like you know man I feel so uh, just I feel like I'm in 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 despair about all of this like how do we what do we do how do we deal with it and then you think well it's been happening for so long and so it's just I don't know
1: but it's 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 kind of, I mean, we also got to remember that's like you, like your grandfather there's always been that fight you know mm-hmm. you know that, the struggle and, and deeply organized groups coming together and, and in solidarity to fight back, you know, and, and oftentimes those narratives aren't the ones that we learn about in our, in our textbooks, yeah. you know, so that's why, you know, the, the idea of, you know, like, for example, the, the community writing project on a part of, you know, you know, writing those stories and getting them out into the, in the public's, um, ear space so they can take them in and listen and, and learn and hopefully be different about the world that we live in, yeah. um, but like, um, you mentioned you know the organizing and fighting for farm workers rights uh, did, did you happen to go to the uh, to the national portrait museum
0: no i didn't
1: well there's there's a uh, a piece there by domingo Ulloa who who has origins i mean he's he's got he has a history in the imperial valley mm-hmm. and a lot of his artwork um was was de- depictions of, of of the agriculture life you know working people who work the fields and things like that and to go in there from after recording the library of congress and then walking over to that museum and seeing I, I didn't wasn't expecting to see it it was a surprise i didn't even know his piece was there right and i thought and it's this campesino there you know looking directly at the viewer it's so power and, and dignity and grace and, and it was just really amazing i didn't know about it and i immediately took a picture and sent it to my, my parents and said, like, check this out you know
0: Yeah, I think that's, you know, that's the hard part about it, too. I mean, and that's why it was such a surprise and such a, like, a crazy thing for me to find one to to hear. You're listening to KKUP Cupertino 91.5 FM here in the Bay Area and beyond the Bay at kkup.org. Tonight's interview is with Manuel Paul Lopez, and we'll get back to him in a second. Uh, Next week, Manuel Paul Lopez will join nine other Latinx poets at CSUMB for the second annual Latinx Poetic Symposium on Thursday night at 6 p.m., On Thursday night at 6 p.m. on CSUMB main campus, there will be a reading featuring Jose Luis Moctezuma, Shirley Ramos, Blas Falconer, Manuel Paul Lopez, and La Sofa Queen. On Friday morning, beginning at 10 a.m. at CSUMB's Salinas Center for Arts and Culture, there will be a panel discussion that will include the featured poets, plus Adela Najaro and the organization Circulo, who will also conduct writing workshops. The symposium will finish with a grand finale reading featuring all of the Latinx poets at Old Capital Books in downtown Monterey at 7 p.m. All of these events are free and open to the public. If you'd like more information, please visit LatinxPoetics.org or give me a call here at the station. KKUP Cupertino 91.5 FM is non-commercial radio staffed completely by volunteers and supported 100% by our listeners. We have provided an alternate source for music and information not readily available on other stations for over 40 years. By maintaining a separation from corporate backing, underwriting, or any other source of funding that might place demands on our programming, we're free to entertain and educate the listening community in a unique way. Every day we offer music ranging from comical to classical, reggae to barbershop, new age To oldies, and not to mention, you know, our amazing poetry radio show. If you find this station worth supporting, please become a member. You can do that online or you can give me a call here at the studio. The number is 408 260 2999 or 831 480 1999. All right, I'll be here. I'm going to get back to this interview. And uh, so here we go. And and people in poverty, like, we we don't sort of warrant any, like, real. Um, uh, documentation,
1: you know. I don't know. Right. And and, and that um, reminds me of Tim Tim Z. Hernandez's uh, All They Will Call You, you know, that documentary novel that just came out. It was 2017, but it was uh, the migrants that were being deported. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was the 30s. Um, and then, then, then the plane went down in Los Gatos, mm-hmm. And the newspaper of the day did not mention their names. I mean, they were anonymous. They yeah. mentioned the you know, the copilot, and but but the people who are on board never had that. But and Tim did that that work, that research, and found out who, who they were, and and we've honored them with you know proper burial, and it's it's a really powerful powerful restoration project. Um, it just came out. Ollie will call you.
0: Okay, I'm gonna look it up. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, and even 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 beyond, like, I think we're always working from a space of restoration when we're in the space of sort of dispower, disprivilege. Um, I, I went to see my tia Nogales and she was pulling up uh, birth records and death records. She's sort of the mm. keeper of all the records of the family. And, and I was talking to her about my, my uncle who died in infancy. And she says, well, he died, but we don't have a birth certificate or a death certificate because he was, he, he was born and then he died pretty immediately and the doctor just handed him to grandpa in a brown paper bag mm. and told him to bury him and so grandpa went in the middle of the night in Texas and buried his first born son in a in a cemetery in an unmarked grave and uh, my aunt took my grandfather before he passed back to the graveyard and grandpa said that he, he located the spot and he said he thinks it's right there but trying to get the burial uh, information and st- like trying to get a stone and everything is like, it's, there's no death certificate, there's no birth certificate. So really you never existed.
1: Right. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, um, my intent was to, to do a more like a family history, and especially when my grandmother was alive. She was the matriarch of my dad's side of the family. And, um, I had the equipment to do it. Asked some of my younger cousins if they wanted to kind of do the interview and kind of you know, ask a bunch of questions. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, slowly but surely, you know, the, the uh, memory loss started happening, and you know, you know that that went into full effect the last few years of her life. So we didn't we weren't able to get to that. You know.
0: Yeah. Do you so, think do you think that's important work for you as a poet? I mean, the restoration of memory and the sort of re speaking of the of the stories. Is that the, the central part of like why you write?
1: I think so. Yeah. I think so. And I think that was um I mean that's certainly part of it. It's a large part of it. Um because all of those stories and, and um you know things that that, are, that, are, that we've experienced as a family, as a community. You know, has really made me who I am today. You know? and, mm-hmm. and there's so much that I don't know. That's the thing. You know, mm-hmm. and, and I wish I had asked more questions. So I was a, a shy kid. You know, so that was
2: <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: yeah preventing me from asking those questions. You know?
0: Yeah and also and and also like I feel like I feel like you like I I'm not shy but I also didn't ask questions for a lot of reasons mostly because the, the discussions always came between the men like my grandfather and so it wasn't really my place in in many ways to, to talk like but my cousin Armando used to sit with my grandfather and he had better Spanish than I did and he would talk with grandpa in Spanish and I would listen so I would always yeah. be sitting on the sofa listening to the conversation um and listening to my cousin Armando talk to my grandfather about the things that would happen, and listening to my grandfather talk to everyone else about things that were happening, mm-hmm. so I absorbed it through that sort of like secondary space.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and you know, I think we, I think that's the trouble with becoming older and be, and becoming writers is like we look back at all these things and we think about all the the things that we missed, the all the yeah. stories we can't tell now because we don't have anymore.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess we got to. I mean, you're doing it. You're doing that research, and you're going and and actively searching out these these stories, and I think that's important. Um. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and you're writing, and you're writing amazing poems, by the way. I mean, they're just amazing poems. Uh, Can you read some work from your from your most recent book?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, Let me grab it. Yeah, sure. Okay. All right, so I'll read a couple. So the, the prologue in the book is, come, there's a line that I use from John Yao, mm-hmm. um, but here it goes. Like a fish tinged by the ocean, I walk on sad shoes, weary, wondering land language, wondering demarcation splinter. Wondering separation blues, Wondering ocean bottom, like a fish tinged by the ocean. I walk on sad shoes, weary, and um, mm. so that's the prologue of the book. And then the next, the next page is the epigraph by one of my favorite poets, uh, Frank Lima, mm-hmm. and it, my heart is the shyest object in the world. So that should tell you about the whole collection. <laughs> 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 that despair.
0: uh... Oh, man, I'm ready.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So so, um, so I'm going to go into this Hallelujah Mama.
2: Okay.
1: Hallelujah Mama. If you happen to look in the mirror and see a Muppet, close your eyes and clap your hands as hard as you possibly can. This might very well frighten it away. But if you look in the mirror and still see that Muppet staring back at you, chances are you are a Muppet and that you were always a Muppet. In the mirror, obsessed over the dark rings around your Muppet eyes that are a result of the agonizing nights lying in bed awake, contemplating the anonymous Muppet's existence. And the paunch plastered across your midsection, now puffed by years of ingesting pints of stout, night after night, you've brought the sea to a small town in the middle of the desert where everyone around you takes turns drowning. In the mirror, your Muppet eyes reveal something peculiar, a shortcoming you've never quite observed. The universe is problematic, so you hide. You remain small, hidden, and unnoticed like the silver tooth filling in dead Uncle Muppet's mouth. Many close to you have considered you the embodiment of a Muppet severely lacking any recognizable ambitions. So you've endured this life like an unneeded appendage, like a phantom limb. In Muppet High School, you were an outsider who could play a few bars on the trombone. The blues were always your favorite. The marches aroused too much anxiety, so you set the instrument down and never played again the dirges you so wanted to reclaim. You think of your mother a lot these days and the hours she spent teaching you prayers devoted to a Muppet God, the calm you felt when you recited the words the instantaneous peace that washed over your entire being as you both voiced the ribbon of language, affirming Muppet peace, Muppet love, Muppet health. You remember your Muppet heart then, and the way it filled with a buoyant devotion that made you rise. You often dream of a lamb feeding alone in a vast empty stadium with a bouquet of geraniums sticking out of its hat. Who knows what this means? but it seems fitting for a muppet's pun at the end of the day we're all lambs you say when we're finally jettisoned from the almighty muppet industry so
0: All right, you're listening to KKUP Cupertino. This is Poetry Radio. That was Manuel Paul Lopez. His books include These Days of Candy and The Yearning Feed. He'll be at uh, CSU Monterey Bay next week for the Latinx Poetic Symposium. I'm going to finish the night off with some music. La Revolución de Emiliano Zapata is the band, and the song is Preludio de la Felicidad. Uh, Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for next week.
2: Y a ser diferente y que tus párpados sientas cerrar ya que tu ser vuele a un mundo mejor ya que tus penas las veas
3: alejar y que tus piernas las sientas volar ya que tu ser vuele a un paraíso donde tristezas jamás
1: encontrarás el infinito podrás conquistar tus ilusiones podrás
2: alcanzar todos tus sueños podrás realizar
3: cuando al fin logres la felicidad
2: ya que tus penas las veas alejas piernas las
3: sientas volar, ya que tu ser vuele a un paraíso, donde tristezas jamás encontrarás. You are listening to KKUP Cupertino, 91.5 FM on your radio dial, kkup.org, worldwide streaming. But it wouldn't be make-believe if you believed in me. Yes, it's only a canvas sky hanging over a muslin tree. But it wouldn't be make-believe if you believed in me without your love. It's a honky-tonk parade without your love. It's a melody played in a penny arcade. It's a Barnum and Bailey world, just as phony as it can be. But it wouldn't be make-believe if you believed in me.
2: Says only a paper
3: moon.